All right, guys. Jonah chapter two. We read chapter one last week. Um, would someone like to read chapter two this week for us? I will. Actually, oh, actually, wait. DK, you'd, you don't mind if I could do it tonight? Fade, is that okay? Can I let Christian read tonight? It seems like he really wants to. I don't really care. You can, Christian. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get it. Go ahead. Oh, day chapter two. I'm reading in a different translation, so this will be the new American Standard Bible translation. It literally starts off at Jonah's prayer. All right, let's get it. Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. Or I like to say, fish, fish, I called out to my, I called out, out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the death of Sheol, which means death. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed, encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Roots, roots were... We woods weed we were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Wait. Yeah, bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord my God, while I was fainted away, I remembered the Lord and my came to you into your holy temple those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness but i will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which i have vowed i will pay salvation is from the lord then the lord commanded the fish and it vomited jonah up into the dry land Amen. Hmm. There's a lot. Thank you, buddy. Amen. All right. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 1 ended with Jonah being in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And um, this prayer of Jonah seems to be recorded toward the end of those three days and three nights. Because right after this prayer, we see the the fish vomit Jonah out on the dry land. Might want to circle that. So back to verse 1, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. From the belly of the fish. I think that's interesting. Because Jesus will say, uh, he'll use Jonah as a reference. And say, look, the Son of Man is going to be three days and three nights 
in the heart of the earth. One translation will say in the belly of the earth. Um, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Are you guys in distress? Anyone here in distress? Well, Jonah wants to remind us that in distress, the best thing to do is to call out to the Lord. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now, that's the place of the dead. Is that metaphorical death? Is it, you know, uh, poetic death? Or is it actual death? Um, He says he's in the belly of Sheol. And he cried from there, and God heard that cry. Um, any thoughts so far? Ideas? Questions? You know, what comes to mind is the psalmist says, if I make my bed in, in Sheol, even there you are. Even there you are. Um, and so, if Jonah indeed actually went to the place of the dead, if he actually died, this would make a lot of sense especially because Jesus is going to use this as the sign that he gives to the unbelieving generation. He's going to say, you want a sign? I'll give you one. Remember Jonah? Yeah. Same thing's going to happen to me. And Jesus goes into death only to come out victoriously. So any insights, anything you guys notice? If not, we'll just keep trucking along. Keep trucking alone. Going once? Going twice? I almost see as that there'll be a hint of people that will be there and they will be crying out. But it doesn't say also that just because everyone who cries out is going to be accepted. Actually, there's a lot of talk about those will call on me and he'll say, depart from me. So it's it's easy to try to delineate that the two are going to be cohesive in the sense that, oh, well, I could just wait until I'm in Sheol, and then I know to cry out to the Lord. That's not what it's saying. So I don't want people to think that, well, let's just wait for the sign of Jonah, and let's just remember to cry out. So I wanted to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good point. That's actually a really good point. I feel like where I've heard, at least from other people, they're like, oh, wait, to they're like a, a deathbed situation or mm-hmm. a, or let's say a really critical moment where there are like a life, a life threat situation to call out to the Lord. Oh, then I'll make my, life, then I will make myself right with the Lord. No, salvation is actually for today. As far as that prayer goes, like, and what Ken said, it's a good reminder to be like, call out to the, call out to the Lord. It's seemingly that hard posture of crying out to the Lord now and getting your, your life well, Actually, let me rephrase that. Allow the Lord to help you get right with God. Because ultimately, Jesus is the one and the one only way that can that we can get reconciled and get right with God. And 
and through that personal relationship with him, it's that opportunity to turn from a lifestyle of sin into the lifestyle that Christ wants us to to live, prayerfully carry one another's burdens and show mercy, love, compassion towards one another, and building each other up as one body. I guess in the sense that it's a good reminder to not wait until it, it is crucially like a life-threatening situation or whatnot to call out to the Lord in, um, it, yeah, in that circumstance, in all these circumstances, always cry out um, to the Lord if you uh, give a rest. Yeah. Paula, you are next. Uh, can I ask something? Uh, hold is on, let me, get like... to, let me get to Paula real quick because her hand is up and then I'll get to you. She's been waiting patiently. Paula, can you hear me? Are you there, sister? Here. Yeah, um, there you are. Sure. Hi. Um, so the, one of the things that came to mind after reading, um, after we read chapter one last week, um, and everything that happened with Jonah and the people witnessing what was going on, um, coming into chapter two, the beginning, it's it reminds me of uh, the resurrection. Um and Jesus dying and coming back to life three days later um, and rising up. But in his despair and Jonah's despair and his pit of despair and crying out to the Lord and repenting from everything that he's done and everything that he, you know, that happened um, and how he felt and everything that he battled with, Jesus still delivered him and helped him with thanksgiving and praising like he he over i can't even get my words together i'm sorry i'm distracted right now um i don't know it's just beautiful to see what everything that we deal with and battle with in our lives and we're told to pick up our cross and to follow jesus and here's a great example of what what's going on and even though this happened Years and years and years and hundreds of years ago, like we're seeing it in our lives daily. And it's just a constant reminder, like he's the same today, tomorrow, forever. And these last few days, I've been praising God on my way to work and coming home. And it's just special. I don't know what is it about this time, this year. You know, these few days have been really, really emotional for me to know exactly what Christ had to feel and what he was going through in those moments when he was walking and you know when the days knowing that he was gonna die and everything he endured on the cross it just it's beautiful to know how much he did love us but him being in the flesh and the battles that he faced to the moment where, you know, his own people and the ones that he was coming to save hung him there. But he gave himself out of love for us. And really understanding that and and putting yourself to even think about what he went through. Being in human form, like we are still human here. And our daily battles, like, and really taking the focus off of ourselves 
and really seeing him, you know, what and putting ourselves in his in his shoes in his place and understanding that, you know, he loved us that much. Where whatever it is that we're dealing with in our own personal life is nothing compared to him. Nothing. And that right there is just gets your eyes off your situation. It gets your eyes off what you're dealing with. Those little things that we think are so big that take over our time, that take that distract us from what we're supposed to be doing and really refocusing ourselves back to Christ back to what he called us and who we are and our identity in him and the love that he gave for us is is so much greater than anything that we're dealing with right now um i'm sorry i don't want to keep going but that's kind of like what i've been uh experiencing in these last few days and getting into jonah and reading you know what jonah what jonah went through is a reminder of everything that he's done for us mm-hmm Exactly. And it's supposed to be, you know, when you read Jonah, you should Mm -hmm. remember the death and resurrection of Jesus primarily because, you know, Jonah's going to come up from the place of death to go and, you know, bring the message of God to the Gentiles. Um, And so when you, verse three, um, I don't know what your version says, but in the ESV, Jonah says, you cast me into the deep. You cast me into the deep, um, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Um, and this is supposed to be, you know, an image of death, a picture of the chaotic waters of death that no one can conquer and control except God, who walks on the waters, right? Jesus actually walks on the water. And so Jonah here, you know, in the water, uh, helpless. He cries out Um, in verse two when he says, I called out to the Lord. He didn't call out on the ship. He didn't call out right before he was about to get thrown over. It seems as though he called out to the Lord like when he reached, like what Joshua was saying in the chat, the end of his rope and nothing else to grab onto. Um, And so you should see uh, this, this life for others coming out of death. Is a, is a picture of Jesus because the life God is going to offer Nineveh, uh, it comes through Jonah going into the dead and coming up. And I, and I truly, I really believe like Jonah actually, the way he describes it, I was in the belly of Sheol, uh, your waters were over me. I was at the, the root of the mountain. Like you delivered my life from the pit. Um, all these different things make it seem like, yeah, he actually died. but. I don't, I don't know if we can definitively say either way. It just seems really, there's a strong case for Jonah dying. So especially when you, when you read verse four, he says, I'm driven away from your sight. If you can think of the first time humanity was driven away from the sight of God, that was death. Uh, Adam and Eve exiled from the garden. That was the death God said would happen. And so Jonah here, almost like, because Jesus gives himself up. And Jonah is different. Like he does like realize he caused problems for the people on the ship and he volunteers to have his own life kind of uh, be the somewhat of the solution to that. But Jonah, you know, he offers his life up for 
really the problems he caused, whereas Jesus does it for the problems we cause. And so when he says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. There's this hope in Jonah. It's crazy. Like in the middle of, it sounds like drowning. He's going, I'm driven away from your sight. This is exile. This is death. This is me being cast into Sheol, but he's confident. Whatever this means for Jonah, he's confident. I'm going to look upon your holy temple again, whether that's life from the dead, whether that's, hey, I believe God will spare me and bring me back to Jerusalem, you know, which I don't even think Jonah was a native of Jerusalem. I think, uh, I'm trying to remember where he's from. I don't remember. Joshua, go ahead. Go ahead, brother. Um, okay, yeah, I just wanted to share a little of the similarity I'm seeing from what Jonah is praying, and it's really more like a praise than a prayer, but uh, it it really makes me think of Psalm 34, when he says, uh, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at, look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And it's like, um, I don't know, you, I feel like you could put this chapter in as a psalm, and it would fit perfectly in there. You know, it's, it's just like one of the psalms of David, really. And it makes me think of my own personal testimony as well. Um, I, I had like some sort of growth on my jaw. And I had to go see an ENT to get a biopsy. And that's when I called on the Lord. And he answered me. And I see the similarity with Jonah where, um, you know, it says, blessed is the one who fears him. And God's the one who put that fear into Jonah. You know, Jonah was trying to run away. And God put the reverential fear of the knowing you you can't hide from him. You know, he's wherever you go. And then just also resonating with the, again, the letting go of the rope and then finding God's mercy there. And he's not, he's not too proud that even though Jonah had no other choice, like it was either death or call on the Lord. And God was not too proud to answer his call. And that's the empowerment of grace, I think, is um, when we go into what happens after this. Um, I think that's, that's certainly going to empower him in the way he's going to preach, you know, about the mercy of his God. You know, he's he's really going to have a testimony of God's mercy to tell the people when he does call for them to repent. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're right. Jonah has a great testimony of mercy. The only problem is he he won't have mercy for the people, which is ironic because he expects God to show him mercy, but he feels justified in withholding mercy from other people. Um, Just reminds me of Matthew 6, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Someone who truly has received the mercy of God can't, can't help but, you know, freely give that. It will flow out of them. A recipient will be um, a conduit. Jessica, go ahead, sister. How you doing? Doing good. Thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful. Okay. It made me think of Luke 5 and when um, Simon had cast the net down. And he received, basically, when he was catching the fish, and then he bowed down, or he bowed down, and he said, depart from me, for I'm, like, sinful. And then the Lord's like, fear not. Um, from now on, I will make you fishermen of sea. So he recognized, like, the mercy and the grace and the love that Jesus offered towards him as a sinful man. And so it just made me think of Luke 5. Yeah, to to recognize the mercy of God is a, is a good starting place, and Jonah's there. Man, you think like, you think Jonah, any reasonable person after this would be like, yeah, the mercy of God really is beautiful. Ninevites, it's for you too. Instead, he still seems to have this pride, this self-righteous pride looking down on the Ninevites. Um, Verse 5, it says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Now watch this. It says, Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I'll say that again. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I don't know how how, uh, deep he went, but he went deep enough to, in his mind, as he's saying this, Man, this just sounds like death to me. I don't know how else you who can hold their breath that long, <laughs> who can survive that. But God sustains him either way, whether he kept his life, preserved him, or like brought him up from death. The point is, God answered. Um, he says, "I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever." It sounds like the place of the dead, and yet, like this is the cool thing. He goes, "Yet you brought up my life from the pit." Right in the pit is like representative of that place. You know, you don't want to be Joseph in the pit, um, Daniel thrown in the lion's den, the pit. Um, the pit is representative of, well, it's the place of you go to die. Um, but God pulled him up and Jesus put in the tomb, you know, a symbolic pit. He's pulled out. He breaks out of death. Um, and so this is the idea. Yeah, Jonah's not saying, dang, I can't believe I was able to like conquer that. That's crazy. I was a strong swimmer. He's going, Lord, you, you brought up my life. I shouldn't be alive. Um, but you sustained me. Verse 7 says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now, that's really interesting because <laughs> it almost seems like, and I don't think we can for sure say this, but it does really seem like Jonah didn't really regard and call out for God until he was at his breaking point, until he realized, oh my gosh, I think I'm I'm about to die. 
he says, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And that's sometimes the really the place that we need to get to, people need to get to, to, to remember the Lord in life is that, that breaking point, you know, their backs against the wall, nothing else, nothing else to hold on to. And they go, you know what? The Lord has been my help this whole time. I can't believe I've forgotten him. Ken, K-E-N, Fireball. You know, there's uh, a little bit coming to agreement with that, that it doesn't always have to be the end of our actual physical life, but the end of what we would see to be our old life. We have realized we have come so far into the pit that we have either dove head on into, stumbled into, drug into. doesn't really matter to God. He just wants to reach out his hand and say, look, I'm still here. You know, the pit can be seemingly endless, but no matter where we are in our physical life, how we are in our spiritual life, we come to the end of that and we grow faint and we're exhausted, we're broken, and we just need to call out. There's a part of us that knows just to call out. We don't always understand why we're calling out. We don't always understand fully the meaning of any of it, really. You know, we come with a broken faith. Just give you a piece of faith. Don't try to perfect the understanding of faith. Don't try to perfect your understanding of God himself. Just know that you, when you hear the truth, call out. That's enough. Turn to the cross. You know, just like when uh, they were turning to that serpent on the cross. That the idea wasn't that the moment they looked at that cross, or the in, in the instant that they were turning, it was within when they decided they believed and they took action to it. We come to the end of this darkness. This this abyss in our life that we have spent way too long in and we're seeking life you're right like we know something inside of us says call out and it's almost like sometimes that that um calling out on god has to be squeezed out of us that's what's happening to jonah like i really wonder what Jonah was thinking this whole time, you know, jumping on the ship, falling asleep in the middle of the storm, going, you know what, guys, I'm the problem, okay, I get it, throw me overboard. Like, there doesn't seem to be, at least the way Jonah's communicating, it doesn't seem to be remorseful, repentant, just, yeah, I did something wrong, but if you throw me over, things will be right. Um, it, he doesn't seem to turn to God until that point of, oh, gosh, I'm dying. Um, Verse 8, it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 1 through 6, or 7, it's all about Jonah and what God has done for Jonah. Then all of a sudden, verse 8, he's like, you know what? Let me talk about those who worship vain idols. They forsake their hope of steadfast love. I don't know why the shift, why suddenly all this attention on people who worship false idols. But it's almost like something clicks for him. I don't know. Verse 9, it says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And that's something Jonah knew intuitively as a prophet for sure. But like he knows it on such a deeper personal level now. Um, and yet like, though he believes it, he doesn't believe it's available to certain people. That's what's sad. That's what's really sad. He's, he's like, man, I can't believe you saved me. God. Yes. He's going to go to Nineveh and be like, yeah, but you're not saving them. I'm just here to kind of rain down fire and bring judgment. I don't, I don't know how you could possibly, you know, be impacted by the love of God in this way and feel so hard hearted, um, so self-righteous towards others. Um, the way that Jonah does, like he's just going to go out, sit on the, on a hill and go, all right, Lord, let them have it. There's no real desire for them to be saved. Uh, he's there on a mission. I'm obeying you, God. You're bringing judgment, right? And God's going, oh, they turned, you know? Sorry, my yeah. wife wants to say something, but she's whispering. I can't hear her. Go ahead, my wife. My No name. What are you going to say? No. Uh, bummer. Tried to get it out of her. Just like God got that cry out of Jonah. Someone was talking. Go ahead, whoever you were. Difference, I think, is between you know the grace that he received and the grace you received, um, and that might just show how much a difference it makes, like what Jesus did for us. Like he didn't know the price paid for the grace he received. Uh, you know, we have that awareness of Christ and what he did, and you know the message that he gives us. As I did to you, so you do to others. And so it's like he really pays the price for. I'm trying to think how to word it. Like the empowerment of our obedience. It's, it's. I don't know. There's just something extra motivating about having that price paid by him, you know, and him going those lengths that pushes us into an obedience that um, not many people in the Old Testament had. And most of them who did have that kind of obedience, they, um, they got a glimpse of what was coming. You know, it was the ones who got the prophetic word of Christ. Yeah. In verse 8, the pause for like idolatry, just real quick, you know, let me just pause and address those who worship idols. That is silly because, as my wife mentioned, who is smarter than me, she said that, um, you know, because the people who cry out to their false gods don't experience this salvation. There's there's none for them. They cry out, you know, like the, the priests of of Baal or Baal on Mount Carmel. They're crying out, cutting themselves, going, trying to get your attention. Yeah, there's no one there, buddy. Like, ain't nobody saving you. Um, things are getting weird. Like, you guys should stop. And Elijah just sits up and goes, hey, Lord, do what you do. And then bam, you know, that's the idea is Jonah is so much more convinced than ever that, um, there is no other God. 
Um, and you can have that, man. Like you can have that revelation and still, you know, struggle with this. Yeah, but I don't know. Could you really save them? And it's like, yeah, he could. In fact, verse 10, look at after this prayer. This is what's interesting is this. Think about it. Jonah gets swallowed up, right? This is symbolic of death. There's a cry of distress, a desire to be rescued, right? God rescues. Verse 10, the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke to the fish. I don't think I've ever really noticed that detail. He spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon, like it just, I don't know what controlled its gag reflex and was like, yo, I got you, God barfed out Jonah, I guess just at will. And he's, he's thrown up on the dry land. And, um, just in verse 10 alone, there's a picture of God speaking and death letting go of, um, almost like having no power over the word of the Lord. Um, not that God is speaking to death, but the fish, uh, Jonah being in the chaotic waters, like that's a, that's a symbolic picture of death and God speaks and death has to give up, you know, what God is saying, bring forth. I also see a little bit of creation there when God's speaking, right? And then the dry land appears, um, the waters, you know, kind of part and out of the waters come dry land. It's like a, it's like that beautiful mixture of creation and resurrection is that in-between point it's a combination of the two and so yeah like ken says in revelation the sea will give up the dead god's gonna say all right death you've had enough give them up and you know this thing called death cannot like it's not possible in fact new testament says death could not hold jesus didn't wasn't possible man didn't have the authority or the power over him. Jesus was just waiting till the right time. And I love that. Like, this is the power of our God, not just for Jews, but you're going to see for Gentiles also in chapter three. And I love that. Um, it's the idea of <laughs> the fish vomiting Jonah out in the dry land. Pretty, pretty nasty. But that's, that's the picture of what it looks like to, to come up from the dead into life. On the dry land, this new life, kind of like Noah and the ark, kind of planting on Mount Ararat, just a brand new world. Um, Jonah's essentially brought up to a new life experience to go in another chance, you know, another chance to obey the Lord. Do you guys want to tackle chapter three a little bit? I don't think we can get through the whole chapter tonight, but... Um, Dude, it's crazy what Nineveh does. It does. Let's just say it doesn't take. It takes more for Jonah to repent than it does for Nineveh, and that's the irony here: is the people you'd expect would be the closest to God end up running as far as they can get. Jonah the prophet, right? The people of God during Jonah's time, man. The people you're like, yeah, they're totally close to God. Actually, they're running. Actually, they don't want to do what he says. They don't want mercy for the other people. Whereas Nineveh, all it takes is like, I mean, Jonah's message is what's recorded there is very, very simple. It's like, hey, in 40 days, God's bringing judgment. Everyone freaks out and goes, yeah, yeah, he is. We need to fix this. Like, whoa, 
You actually believe that? Look at chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. <laughs> I love that. Like, round two, Jonah. Don't mess this up. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. I think that's the same thing we see in chapter 1. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Same exact thing, man. Same message. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Like, I'm being obedient, Lord. But you're going to see there's no love in his obedience. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Also, mind you, a bunch of fish slappers, like they're wicked. Three days journey in breadth. Meaning it probably took a while for Jonah to get the message out to everyone. Three days. Interesting. You might want to circle that. Jonah began to go into the city, now going a day's journey. And here's his message, man. Hey. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Doesn't seem like he's sharing a way out. Doesn't seem like he's giving them an opportunity to repent. He's just going, hey, you're about to be decimated. In verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Go out on the streets, just say <laughs> this message, hey, eventually. This whole nation, this whole world's going to be overthrown. See who believes. That's pretty much the situation with Nineveh. The most basic message that should not have worked. And yet, they believed not Jonah, they believed God. Um, pure speculation here. But I wonder if somehow the people on the ship with Jonah had any part in Nineveh being ready to receive this message. Like if any of them happened to be Ninevites traveling back to, to Nineveh, of course it was going the wrong way, but you know, maybe they eventually get there. Um, I don't know, but they, or they saw the fish vomit them up. You've been in the belly of the great fish. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth. Like, they know how to do things. They know how to repent, it seems like. Um, John says, it's believed there was a solar eclipse in conjunction with it. Interesting. What's the source for that? I'm just curious. Where one might find uh, that data. Kind of like uh, ancient rabbi teachings or... Uh, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. From the greatest to the least. Let's pause there and talk about what we've seen. We're not going to read, I don't believe, any more tonight because I think this is going to stir up some good discussion. So, um, but. Any thoughts, questions, comments? DJ, did you want to read or did you have a question? Sorry, I just kind of started reading. <laughs> I know you're my reading guy. Uh, I'm sorry. 
if we read a little more, I promise you'll get to. Hold me to it. Joshua, go ahead. Uh, and it goes with what you were saying about if they possibly um, saw the fish vomit him up. And I think that's the case. And it is, it's purely speculation. But I, I think that just might be the case. And there's been debate about whether it was a fish or a whale that swallowed Jonah. That word, it's translated as basically a large sea creature. So we don't know what it is. But my speculation is what if, yeah, I don't even know if this is my speculation, but what if it was Leviathan, that monster, that giant fish, Leviathan? And I was talking over this with Silvermouse, and he started looking at the Hebrew letters for Leviathan, and it was just fascinating because... Apparently, there's there's a meaning, there's a definition for each letter. And so, if I list off the letters and their definition, you have va, it is a nail, a peg, a hook, joining together, making secure, becoming bound. And then tav, a mark, a sign, or a cross, an ownership to seal, covenant, join two things together. And then, again, think of the sign of Jonah. And then uh, Yad, a hand closing upon to work, a deed done, a finished work. And then Va, again, the nail peg joining together, making secure. And then Lamed, I don't know, I'm probably pronouncing it. A staff, a goad, a rod to control, to prod, to urge forward, to go toward, or to... Or to teach, learn, tongue. So I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, who knows what it was. But I think that would, um, that would give some convincing. Right. And, and what if it's actually, well, my first thought is Godzilla. But beyond that fantasy, yeah. <laughs> what if, what if like there was no sign um, and just the people just believe the message? How crazy would that be? Um, now we can assume that there might have been a sign like the spitting out, the smell, um, something, an eclipse. The text isn't clear. And I believe on purpose just to note like – Nineveh's response contrasted with Jonah's initial response to God's command. Hey, go to Nineveh. Nope. Opposite direction. You know, Jonah comes to Nineveh. Hey, guys, God's going to destroy you guys. Shoot. We need to fast. In fact, DJ, you can read verse 6, just like I promised. He's a man of his word. You can ask me to put it in the chat, aren't you? Yep. How'd you know, Jason? I know you, man. I know you. Re do me a favor and read verse 6 through 8. Okay. The word reached the king of, ne of Nevinth, 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sack with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued the proclamation and punished through Nebeth by the decree of the king on and his nobles. But neither man nor nor beast heard her Heard no herd nor flock taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mighty mightily mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from their violence that is in his hands. Okay, I'm, I I can't let you stop there. There's there's no way. I'm going to put 9 and 10 in the chat, too. Read that for me, buddy. No problem. Who knows? God may turn and, re- and relent and turn from his fierce anger so, we, that we, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do... And he did not do it. That right there is probably the entire focus of this prophet. Just the word reaches the king. How? I don't know. It must have stirred up quite, uh, I don't know. Quite the crowd, apparently. Someone was like, we need to tell a king. And he, like, you'd expect a king, like, as pompous as kings typically were, as powerful and as, like, wicked as the Ninevites, you know, typically were, you'd expect him to respond the opposite of what he does. He arose from his throne, noting his authority, power, influence. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and then sat in ashes. Oof. And he issued a... Again, like, the text doesn't at all tell us that Jonah told them what to do. Okay, and I, and I believe it's on purpose. Maybe there was extra details left out. Maybe Jonah told them what... We don't have that recorded. All we have is Jonah saying, 40 days, y'all done for. And they go, shoot, tell the king. He goes, you know what? I need to take off my robe and repent. And hey, let me issue a proclamation. All of Nineveh, here's my decree, verse 7. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, no animal taste anything. We are going to fast. Let them not feed or drink water. What? But let man and beast be covered. You're going to cover your cows and your bulls with sackcloth? Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. They can't tell your animals to do that. Maybe you can. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. In other words, he's aware that something is wrong and something needs to change. Something needs to change. That is like what Jonah realized. But it took a lot more to convince Jonah um, to really call out to God. 
these guys, I, I just see a really stark contrast. The Israelite you'd expect, easy money, ends up being the most difficult one. Ninevites, historically wicked murderers, I mean, very, very wicked. And yet, they end up being, you know, playing that role that you expect God's people would have. And in fact, like Jonah's sent away from the nation of Israel, man. Oh, outside the boundaries of like God's land to go what? Deal with the Ninevites? Why? Because apparently they were far more receptive to God's message than his own people were. Than his own people. The nation of Israel was like, nah, forget the prophets. God goes, okay, Jonah, hit up the Ninevites. Nope. Ah, you too, man? Dang. All right, I'm sending a whale. The fish, Godzilla, he's going to swallow you up. And then he goes to Nineveh and they turn and relent and and they stop the evil. Because apparently in verse 10 it says God saw what they did, which means they actually did what the king said. They actually did what the king said. The king wasn't like, do it. And they're like, nah, you weirdo. They actually went, yeah, everyone stop doing evil. If this is not like real repentance, I, I don't know what is. I really don't know what is. When God saw what they did, that's probably my favorite part. It's that he responds to the decision they made to repent and believe the message. In other words, belief here in the message is not without action. Uh, belief here is not without demonstration. Like they actually, their life changes so dramatically that God goes, dang, <laughs> look at that. Jack, Jack attack. Go ahead, my man. Hello, hello, it's everybody. Um, this, oh, good, good. This actually reminds me of us today, this very day, foreshadowing from the past. Like um, uh, before Jesus came, before the gospel of Jesus, before the ministry of Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes and, you know, the people that had the law given to them, the Israelites, as it is in, in the story of Jonah as well. Um, the Gentiles were separate from the Israelites, and the Israelites were the ones that held on to the law, the ones that were given the law specifically from God. And uh, the Gentiles were not a part of that. They were set apart from the Israelites. And when Jesus came, the Israelites turned away from him. The Jews turned away from him. Didn't believe in him being the Messiah. Some till this very day still don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our Lord and Savior. And they don't want to believe that. And they turned away from that. And here, people who had no idea that were talked about in the Bible as being nearly beast, because they were not right of mind. They were adulterers. They were uh, 
full of sin. They were evil and wicked. And it was through those people, those very Gentiles, that much of the gospel was spread out and to all the nations, and that the belief in Jesus came to be even stronger today than it was in those days. And uh, it's kind of the same story about the whale and stuff, because um, we were basically stuck in a well, in a beast, in the will of nature and how our human nature is. The beast of our human nature was to be evil. We were wicked. Wickedness lived in our hearts. Evil resided in our hearts. We knew no truth. We didn't know how to live like that. And today, because of the grace of the Lord, because of the love that he has for us first, we no longer are down in that darkness, sunk in that water, in the depths of the water like Jonah was, with it, the weeds wrapped around his uh, throat. We have been freed from that, freed from our sin, because if we believed in one single truth, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. I find it amazing how that kind of reflects it, as well as the Noah story when um, Noah was out there preaching to the people, repent, repent, you know, they didn't want to listen. And then the Lord seals them up in the ark, you know, tells them to get on there, seals them up. That's the protection we have today. That was the baptismal that Noah went through in those days as they did in the waters, that was like a baptism for the new generations that would come ahead of that. The cleansing of the earth that went through the flood, that everything that went through it. So I find it very interesting and very, uh, very, very much alike we are today. But thank for Thanks to God for Jesus, we don't have to live in that. And that's all I want to say about that. But, uh, and we come across people who, you know, we share like a very clear gospel. Like it's it's logical, it's sound. We answer questions, and they're like, nah. They they want any reason they can find not to believe it. Um. Verse 9 of chapter 3, it's interesting. They, again, this is why I think Jonah didn't preach what to do or how to repent or the mercy of God. Because verse 9, they're left wondering. The Ninevites go, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So, it doesn't seem like um, Jonah told them that God would give them a way out, which makes you wonder, where did they get that information? 
where did they come to learn or what what data did they have that made them think the God of Israel would possibly give them a way out? You know, um, is this is this uh, something that other gods in the nations did? Um, I, I truly don't think so. The way gods like Baal and the Egyptian gods, like they're harsh and there doesn't seem to be that. So maybe they've had, um, again, speculation, but, you know, maybe they have heard of, you know, how God welcomed people like Rahab or um, up to this point, you know, like Ruth, the Moabite, or, you know, how God gave other nations the chance, you know, Joshua and his conquest, it, it seems more like they would give a nation, a city, a chance. And if they didn't receive the peace, if they didn't receive the terms of peace, then they'd go in. Um, so again, they're left wondering, man, like they're not repenting on a for sure. They're turning on a maybe. There, there's no surety that God's going to do anything with their repentance. They're just hoping he will. And, um, man, that's so different than what we have now. Like we don't have a, maybe we have an absolutely, like if you repent and just believe God promises, this is what I'll do. They didn't have that laid out for them. It just makes you, um, I guess, understand why Jesus says, Hey, when Jesus looks at the unbelieving generation of Israelites, when he says, you understand that the men of Nineveh are going to stand in judgment against you guys, right? Those were probably like, in their minds, the most demeaning words possible. But then in verse 10, you know, back to Jonah, it says God saw what they did. They turned from their evil and God relented of the disaster he said he would do. He didn't do it. So it's like, did God lie? No. They changed their relation to God in terms of being against him. They turned to him. And it's the fact that for those who are for God, there's mercy and grace. For those who are against God, there's wrath and judgment. So it's that they actually changed their position towards God. And God said, look at that. No disaster coming upon you. And then in chapter 4, you're going to see Jonah's not really excited about that. And so like Leandra said in the, in the, in the chat, like... Um, I want to find it and read it. We have to be okay with God showing mercy to our enemies. Think of the people in your life, in the world, in government, that you're like, yeah, I hope they actually rot in hell forever. Like, if God shows mercy to them, and they repent, and they come to know Christ, like, would you be excited? Would you be like, yes, the same mercy God gave me is just as much for them. Um, and some people, like, they just have a hard time with that. I know sometimes I can, like, I don't know, Lord, like, they're pretty messed up. I don't think they will. And God's like, what if they do? I, I do what you want, man. I trust you. Paula, you get to close us out. What you got, sister? What you were saying, like, really hit, because uh, I, I think I shared my story before, but um, not too long ago, I was in service and we were having praise and worship and I saw the man who was my stepdad who um, raped and molested me throughout my whole childhood. 
So he walked into the church and my mom goes now and she's we're all sitting on the on the stools and uh my husband was like who's that that and you know asking who that was because he was saying hi to my my uh, brother-in-law and stuff and I told him who he was and I in that moment I praised God for him being there in the church and I said thank you father that he's here and I pray that he has an encounter with you and that he knows you the way I know you and that change in my heart perspective, because back then, before I knew Christ, it, I mean, it took me through spirals of my life. But now I would have never had that heart if God didn't give it to me. And instead of saying, oh, my God, and running away or, you know, leaving, I praised him that he was there. And that right there was I couldn't I I cried because I where did that come from? Because if it was me back then, before I knew Christ, I would never have been able to forgive him or to move forward. But now be able to uh, witness what, you know, be a witness to what Christ has done in my life and how big of a testimony that is to see him walk in and praise God that he's there rather than how I would rather run out the back door. So that it, it is very, my heart is pounding because I'm like, just being able to speak about it and the healing and the trauma and the pain and everything I had to go through is all for your glory, Lord, because he's here. And, you know, we're going to have to come forward and we're going to have to forgive and we're going to have to keep moving forward and keep praising God, even when in our own flesh, we don't want to. But knowing that that's the heart that God wants us to have toward our neighbor, toward the ones who hurt us, toward the ones who hurt us on a daily and forgive because that root of bitterness, that root of, you know, whatever it is that just wants to the enemy. And not only that, but our own flesh and God gives us his spirit and changes our heart and changes our mind and what we think and how we view our life. So Praise God that, you know, we can do that. But I didn't never know that if I didn't do it. But the the peace that I had really did surpass everything that I went through. And I, I just wanted to share that. Amen. That's the perfect way to close this session out. That's an incredible story of, man, just transformation, Paula. That's a testimony to God's glory and his power. I don't I don't believe that kind of love and and grace and mercy is possible without him. Like that's crazy. Praise the Lord. Well, Paula, would you feel uh comfortable praying us out? Seems appropriate. That kind of an awesome story. I'd love to. Um dear heavenly Father, thank you Father God for tonight, Lord. Thank you that we get to uh, worship you and learn all about you and praise you and who you are, Lord God. Thank you that we have life and that we don't have to meditate on the on the world or the things that happen in our life, Lord. We can meditate on your word. We can meditate on what you've done for us, Lord, and up into the cross, Lord God, and, and still today, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, that that we 
can fellowship together and love each other, even though we don't personally know each other, Lord. We're here, Lord God, because of you. And we just thank you, Lord. And I just pray as we sleep, as we rest, Lord, that you will rest our minds, Lord, and our hearts, Lord, whatever it is that's troubling us, Father God. You know everybody's story. You know what they face, Lord God. And I pray that they can just give it to you, Lord, if they struggle with anything, if they could just fully repent and fully just surrender it all to you, Lord God. I pray that you would give them peace, Lord, and that you will help them, Lord, and that you will prepare their hearts for whatever it is that you want to show them, Father God, that you will lead them, Lord, and that they can just rely on you full wholeheartedly, Lord. And I just thank you, Father God, for everything, Lord. These days are precious, Lord. Every day with you is precious, Father God. And I just pray that my brothers and sisters will know how much and truly how much they are loved by you, Lord God. And we just thank you. We worship you, Lord, and we love you, Lord, for it. And we thank you for everything, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, sister. Thank you. Yes, and guys, sir. next week um, to finish Jonah. Finish Jonah. What? What? That was fast. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Praise God. Enjoy Resurrection Sunday. And we'll be back next Thursday. Bye, everybody. See you later. Amen. Love you guys. In Jesus' name.